Uh, I don't know if you knew it or not, but they won't let you deposit counterfeit money. So uh, I've tried before too. And yeah, it's one of those funny things. I know the more you print, the more they will not let you uh, deposit it. I, I should have told you before you went down there and tried that. <laughs> the other thing that they don't like is a bag full of pennies. So those two things, Terry, uh, are not good. Hey, we're glad that you are here. Terry's right to, uh, to be here the last Sunday of the month, it's not a throwaway for us. In fact, um, the proof of that is that we're starting a new series today, and it's our series for 2020. And instead of waiting a weekend and just saying, hey, we'll let this one go by, we felt like um, that no weekend is a throwaway weekend. The truth of the matter is, every day we have is precious. Do you agree with that? And all, all you need to do is to have it taken away from you suddenly, and you'll realize how precious every moment is that you have, and you need to appreciate those moments. So we don't throw away any days. We cherish each one. We want to make the most of each one, and that is today. Uh, last night, for those of you who are not Saturday night people, you're Sunday people, you might not know this, but we didn't meet last night. That storm hit right at... Uh, well, I'll be honest with you. First, I was really like, oh, God, you know, I, here, here's the funny conversations pastors have with God on the weekend. You have five other days to let it snow. <laughs> don't you understand how important this is? You think I'm kidding, don't you? God, is this a test? Are you testing me with the weather right now to see what I'm going to do? You would think well, after, you know, 30 some odd years of doing this, it wouldn't be a big deal. And I'm just like, God, do I cancel? Do I go? What do I do? I mean, I, I think I, this is, I think I'm making a very honest statement. It's hard to, to remember exactly for 22 years, but I think we've only ever canceled two other times. And it just was, it was dangerous driving and I had flipped on uh, the news and they were closing some of the highways around and I thought, you know... Um, a pastor's not just to stand up in the pulpit and teach the word and lead a church. A shepherd also has responsibility for the safety of his people. And so I just made a call on safety. But then my mindset switched because uh, I was going to record LSU last night. And I realized God sent that storm for me <laughs> to be able to stay home and watch my tigers crush Oklahoma. And so as we move into the next level of the championship, for those of you who don't care, pull for LSU and say a prayer for your pastor's sake. How about that right there? So <laughs> glad that you're here. Uh, our series is called Revelation, and we're going to go through the book of Revelation. And I know for some of you, uh, you've tried to read it, and probably um, at different times, it can be so confusing that it's, it, it starts and it seems to be, Revelation is one of those books where it does a couple of different things that the Bible can do. Part of it is it uses allegory. And so it's very difficult then when you're reading allegory to figure out, is this talking about today, yesterday, or sometime in the future, right? And then it uses um, uh, Hebrew and especially, and then when we move into Aramaic, both of them uh, can be poetic languages so that it uses word pictures to try to paint uh, uh, something. And if you have, so, so you have John, and I'll talk about this in just a moment to give you the background on it. But here you have John who's writing this book, um, not, not even uh, 70 years after the death of Jesus. He's writing this book and he's trying to describe things that he's seeing 2,000 years in the future, 2,400 years, who knows exactly. So how does a man living in that age describe some of the military armaments that we have today. 
You would use some kind of a word picture. For instance, you would use a scorpion that has fire that can come out of its stinger. You ever seen a Black Hawk helicopter when it's firing? To a person in ancient times, they would, what would you say it looked like? What would be your word picture? And then here's that. That's my opinion. Is that what it really is? Or is it a huge scorpion that comes with fire out of its, I don't, that would be cool. As long as you saw it from a long way away. <laughs> like on, you know, the news at nighttime in another part of the world. <laughs> so trying to teach on this, um, I'll, I'll take you through it and try to make it as understanding as possible. Some of it is just very plain spoken. It's just very, like the very first chapter, um, really one, two, and three are fairly just straightforward. And especially chapter one, when John opens up what's going on in his life and why he's writing this and uh, the position that he's writing it from. So let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, My first opening is just simply this. Um, We always begin with the end. So when I write a message, I always start with what, where do I want to finish? And then I back up from there. I never just start writing a message and see where it goes. Does that make sense? I always have an end in mind. So I know where I want to end up before I just start writing and writing and writing. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter where you end up, does it? You're just headed out. And the same thing is true for you. I think that most of you, uh, any of you that traveled during the holidays here, I bet you had the end of the destination in mind before you ever got in the car or on the plane. And, And if not, you just bought a ticket and went, didn't you? And it didn't matter where you went. You might have had Thanksgiving, but you don't even know who you were with. You just went. So we don't live life that way. Listen. And so the Bible doesn't do it that way either. Revelation is exactly what it's supposed to be. It's the end of the matter before it even begins. God's actually revealed to us the end of the matter. But because it's written in three different ways, using the idea of allegory, poetry, and then just direct communication... It's hard to know where does this happen and what does this mean exactly and is this straight up for now or is it for another time? So that's a way to look at it. It's just simply we're beginning with the end and and then this would be a better way maybe to even say it. How many things do you do in life without a plan? We all have a plan or we should. The old cliche is that if you fail to plan, you plan to... Yeah. Some of you are like, that is so smart. That might have been the problem that you had so long you didn't know. So here's the background. It was written in AD 96 by the Apostle John. Uh, The same John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that John. He's written five books of the Bible. So he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote the book of Revelation. So he's written five books in the Bible. This John is the John who referred to himself often as the one whom Jesus loved. That John. He's the youngest of the Apostles. Um, At this point, when he writes this book, he's an old man. Jesus' crucifixion, uh, death, and resurrection has happened a long time ago. John, uh, as a faithful disciple, uh, is one of the few who has had the luxury of living his life to an old age. The rest of the disciples have, have, at this point, for the most part, have already died. They've already given their lives. It's funny because there, there's a portion in the scripture uh, before the ascension, after the resurrection, before the ascension, Jesus is talking to Peter and John and he says uh, to Peter, he's talking to Peter about that uh, Peter's going to give his life for the cause of the gospel and that it won't be, he uses these words, not too long from now. And then Peter says to Jesus, but what about John? 
literally, what, what about him? He's going to die too, right? Not just him too. And so Jesus tells him, listen, what's it to you if he's still alive when I come back? And so he's not saying that John's going to live until Jesus returns. He's just simply saying, Peter, it's not for you to know those things. And almost, I think what Jesus was saying at that time was that he's going to live a long life. I just think it's an interesting analogy. So he, he's an old man when he writes this, uh, and he has been exiled to a Greek island. Now, today, it's a beautiful... If you go and you look at it, it's actually it's a beautiful place. It's still there. It's Patmos, and it's known... Uh, it's famous because this is where John wrote the revelation of Jesus from. And that's, that's really what, if you, if you were to Google it, that's what it's known for. Today, it's a tourist place. But at the time, it was just a barren rock that was a place you would exile someone to. Now, this is interesting. How did he end up in this place? Why did he end up there? Why all of the other disciples have paid for their life with blood why does he get to be exiled? It's an interesting question. So I'm going to throw out, um, here's a thought. So by the way, listen to what I'm saying right now. This is not in the Bible. This comes from extracurricular uh, witnesses to events, but it's not the canon of scripture. Do you understand what I just said? So it comes from people, church fathers, people who lived during that time who, who were witnesses, it actually comes from several different sources, but it's not in the Bible. So we cannot say this 100% happened, but if you put clues together, it seems to make sense. So uh, John was under uh, the emperor Nero uh, when, when the Christians began to suffer persecution. Uh, Dom- Domitian was the one who put him in exile uh, on the island of Patmos. And so here is what it was said of John, that in Rome, he was brought to Rome uh, to answer for being a Christian and a disciple of Jesus, and that they tried to boil him in oil. But when they put him in the oil, he continued to preach the gospel, and the oil didn't harm him. So that they pulled him from the oil and exiled him to the island of Patmos. Now, if you're just like, come on, do you believe that? It's not in the Bible, so I would never stake my life on that issue right there. But I would say this, when they hang Peter upside down, when they behead different disciples, some of them were skinned alive. Here, why let John go to the island of Patmos? I think they tried to punish him and just simply thought, fine, we can't do it that way. So we'll just make him irrelevant. And it's from this island that he has this vision. So um, just a little more background in case uh, you're interested. The persecution lasted from AD 67 to AD 257. So Christians were persecuted off and on for 190 years, almost 200 years. Uh, It was under a number of different uh, Caesars. Nero, Domitian, Trajan, Marcus Aurelius, Severus, Maximus, Decius, and Valerian. Each one of those at varying times and at different ways brought persecution on the church. And the more that they tried to persecute the church, the more that the church grew. So church fathers said, the more you try to mow us down, the more that we multiply. There is something in the suffering of a believer that causes growth to happen. It's not something that we, we walk out of here and we seek suffering, but the truth of the matter is God somehow put in our DNA that if we have to actually suffer for the cause of Christ, if we're willing to do it, there is something in it that makes it so real and so attractive that the more they try to kill, the more it multiplies. So their greatest answer is to actually listen to this. 
The devil's greatest answer is not to try to kill. It's to try to level you out so that you're ineffective, make you a part of the world at large. He's always got two ways. It's either to come directly at you with fire or to make you a part of the culture. Either way, right? You're, you're not comfortable. You're not in that place where you're supposed to be. So he's been sentenced to the island of Patmos uh, for this reason. These are his words. I'll read it to you. This is Revelations chapter 1, and it just begins John's story, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the revelation of John, but the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, so that we know the context is for things that are going to happen. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even to all uh, that saw it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Can I say that one more time? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So what does that make me? Wow, folks, come on. It's not that hard. I read it twice. And blessed are those who hear. What does that make you? Yes. And who keep what is written, for the time is near. John... To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming. With the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. I'm the Almighty. John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom of the patient, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God. And the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. So I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the middle of the lampstand was one like the son of man, clothed with a long rope, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like the white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like that roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Would you say that's awesome? Would you say that he probably doesn't know what to do? Would you say that some of us ask, like, God, I really wish you'd show up and speak to me. Are you sure? (laughs) So what we really are saying is, God, I wish I understood more. I wish you'd make it plainer to me. If ever somebody talks about seeing an angel, let alone seeing Jesus, and they talk about it like, hey, the angel came, and we had tea, and it was cool, and we slapped high five, and then off he went. It doesn't work that way. If you ever see an angel, most people in the Bible, here's what it describes. They fell down like they were dead. They didn't know what to do. And many humans, in fact, began to worship angels because they realized this is, this is beyond uh, humanity. This is beyond something that's simple. And the angel has to stop them and say, I'm nothing more than an angel. So they're worshiping angels. Can you imagine what it would be like if God's presence shows up? 
Uh. That's what's happening with John right now. Jesus is here. These are Jesus' words to John. Fear not. Can I just tell you that those are the best two words you'll hear? Because it could be a whole lot different if he says, fear on. Fear not. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am now alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and hell. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those are the things that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mysteries of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars that are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And then we go right into chapter 2. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are letters. There are seven letters written to seven churches that represent the churches that um, not only were then, but the seven, they're called the seven spirits. So these are eternal, ever before God. They represent the church that Jesus died to establish that was then, uh, was through the ages, is now. If you want to know how the church is doing, all the reports of the church's demise are lies of the devil. The church was, is, and will be. Now, it will go through pressure. It will go through different times. It will go through different phases, no doubt. But be assured of this, that the end of the Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. The bride may look a little bruised. It may look a little beat at times. But Jesus is coming back for his bride, and he has a bride that he comes back to get. So his church will be here long after everything else is gone. And that's why you want to be a part of it. So then here's where we'll go this weekend. These letters then are written to churches that were then, but also represent churches that exist today. And there are two things in these letters that become very important for you. He writes, here's the things that you're doing good, and I want you to continue doing, and I want you to strengthen these things. So blessed are those who read it. Blessed are those who hear it, because when they hear it, they can keep it. That's what makes you blessed. You hear it and you keep it. Yes or no? So these are not suggestions. These are not good ideas. These are not like, hey, if you get around to it, you might want to make your church about these things. He's saying, this is why the church exists. I get excited when I teach on that, man. So I'm going to then um, take you down in a way to show you. I I tried to sort of put it like side by side. Here's the things that they're doing well that need to be strengthened. Here's the things that they're not doing well that they need to repent from. And, And I've tried to put it in a way. I'm not sure it's going to work. I may change it for the next service. We'll see how it goes in this one. But instead of just going straight down, here's all the good, and then reading, here's all the bad, I went back and forth. Here's the things that are good that that need to be strengthened and continued in. Here's the things that are wrong, that are messing you up, and that you're being deceived in. Uh, For each church, there's a different thing that he tells them in particular, that he's proud of them with, or that they need to watch out about, or that they need to turn from. The only reason I bring this up to you, I want to give you this point right here. These churches were the churches that were started by the apostles themselves. So if these churches had good and bad things, don't you think that churches today that are started by people who were generations after the apostles could have good and bad things? Would you agree with that? So simply, I I just think what we gain from the first couple of uh, chapters of Revelation 
is that we, we look at these things as though they represent churches then, but it's, it's spirits that don't, they don't uh, last for just 100 years, and then they've got the church has been here and will continue to be here. And so these are things that are eternal that we're talking about right here. These are the things that we want to strengthen, that God will reward us for, and these are the things that can mislead, harm, hinder, and in some cases, Jesus is very, he's tough. If you don't turn from these things, I'm going to remove your lampstand, he says. Those are tough words right there. We tend to ignore those words oftentimes. When preachers read those words, they soften those words. They want to talk about the things that we're doing well and that we're doing right. So be it. Those are the things we should encourage. But then ignore the things that where we're warned, if you keep doing this, I'm going to remove your place. Who are we to take away the words of Jesus? Do you know that it, we're blessed to read it? But in the back of this book, in Revelation, it says, cursed is the one who changes any part of this book. And that's a fearful thing, a fearsome thing. So these are seven churches throughout the province of Asia where the church is established and is spreading, but it really represents all churches. The seven are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Do this. I picked five and five things. So they're just 10 in total. Uh, here's the things that all of them have in common to keep doing. The first one, he says, strengthen what is good. Strengthen what is good. Uh, so he, he allows them, he goes through some of the things that he sees that are good, but he allows them, when he says, out, just strengthen what is good. Look at what you're doing. The things that you know are good, strengthen those things. Keep doing those things. So when we think about the future, and we think about now, let's take it from the church universal to the church in Lone Tree, the church called Jubilee Fellowship, uh, here this morning that we meet, we, we look at what's good. What do we want to keep doing that's good? Uh, I, I think what's good is that this is a church that above everything else, man, we preach Jesus in this church. So there, there's a lot that our church tries and a lot that our church does and a lot that our church can be known for. But the one thing through the ages that has been true, this church preaches Jesus. And the one thing that we have in common, regardless of what your background is, you could have grown up a Baptist, you could have grown up a Methodist, you could have grown up a heathen, it does not matter. What brings us together here today is that if we're going to go forward, we agree that we're going to love Jesus together. That's what we're going to keep doing. Preach Jesus. Uh, interestingly enough, part of my day yesterday, uh, there's a young man who grew up in our church um, that was a great athlete, um, played, played ball in college. Um, had a chance to do it professionally, but he also, um, he, he, he had an equally um, gifted brain. And he ended up in, um, in Gotham, and I'll let you guess where Gotham is, and um, ended up in the financial industry. And I had not heard from him for several years, but he was back for Christmas and um, had managed to uh, get my email. And um, so how did he get your email, Pastor? I will not tell so that you cannot figure out how to get my email. Um, he, but he figured out how to do it. Actually, here's how he, he grew up with my sons, and he still has their number. So he called one of my sons and said, it's an emergency. And, um, and my son gave him my email. And, you know, if someone's able to find me that way, I always make myself available because I figure Jesus must be in this someplace. He must be in it someplace. So I met this young man, and um, he's become involved with a church that is a cult. But that's not how it was given to me. He said, I'm involved with this really good church, and I'd like to tell you about it. And I said, so before we get talking, why am I meeting with you? 
why do you want my opinion about this? What's going on inside of you? And then he begins to just tell me the story, how he's come across this, and, and that um, something inside him is unsettled. So I stopped the conversation right there, and I said, look, you're going to forget most of what I tell you. You won't remember most of it by the time you get back to Gotham. But the one thing I don't want you to forget, that little thing that's on the inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit. Never extinguish that. It'll guide you through your life. It'll tell you through peace or through that little thing that makes you uncomfortable, something's right or something's wrong. And if you get to ignore that and push that down and become numb to it, I even told him the word calloused is what the Bible, if you, get, if you build a callus up on it because you push it down all the time, right? It's still there, but it gets such a thick growth on it that it's not sensitive. You want to encourage things to be sensitive in your life so that you can hear God easily, yes or no? You want to hear God very easily. Mm. So I began to talk to him, man, and at a Starbucks, I just start preaching, like, pre- like I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to him. And I actually stopped two or three times and said, I'm sorry, and then I just started preaching again, man. <laughs> I was just preaching away. Just like, and then I'm like, people are looking at us, and I'm like, preach on, let's go. Let's preach on in a Starbucks. It's just preaching to him and just what's true and what's right. And I won't go into the details of it. But uh, one of the things that they misled was that Jesus has returned. And he is the head of their church. And only their church has salvation. And you have to take communion through their church in order to be uh, truly saved. And that uh, this, this is, and they said, uh, I, I said to him, listen, I, I know that I know that if Jesus, um, when he returns the second time, it won't be like the first time. He's coming according to the Bible as King of Kings, Lord of Lords in all of his glory and all eyes will see him. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, are you sure it says that? <laughs> and it was just so fortunate that I was preaching this message. Because instead of going, yeah, I know it's in there, uh, I'll find it for you. I knew exactly where to turn to. Because this tells us, Jesus himself, all eyes will see me when I return. And that's what John is witnessing in this right here. So, Pastor, where are you trying to go with this right here? So, I, listen, this, this idea of just um, keeping ourselves in a place where we're not being deceived and we're not being misled. Jesus himself in Matthew 24, when he's teaching on what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age, the first thing he said is be careful that people don't deceive you. So when it says strengthen that thing that's good, and I begin to think about what we're doing, listen to me, what we want to strengthen, not just maintain, not keep doing over the next couple of years. What we want to strengthen, get better at, is teaching more of Jesus, more of Jesus, more of Jesus. Fads may come and go. Songs will come and go. Locations will come and go, but Jesus will never, ever, ever fade away. He's the thing that we keep preaching and that we hold on to. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the light. And there is no other way. And I will not quit saying that. I will not back up from that. I will not fall short in that. And if I have anything to say about it, neither will you. We will strengthen what is good. We will strengthen that inner voice of the Holy Spirit. We will allow that thing to become more tender so that God can speak. When Jay is up here, I I watch him just week after week crying out, uh, you know, methodology and, and, and personality. Uh, the problem with it is for some people they get it and other people they don't. 
But if you can look beyond methodology and personality to the heart, the heart of our worship leader is so good and so right, and he's trying so hard. Oh, it's all about you. It's all about you. Strengthen what is good, church. Strengthen what is good. Strengthen what is good. All right, so let me try my experiment here. Um, rather than go straight down the list of the good, let me bounce over to the thing that he says you need to correct. Um, he says, here's the sin. You've lost your first love. Your first love. So it's interesting, and the reason I try to put these side by side and the reason I think maybe it works is because in my first, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you, strengthen what is good. Stay in that good place. Stay in that place where you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Stay in that place where Jesus is first in your life. And then, so, so, can't you see that the opposite of that would be don't lose your first love. Don't get to a place where you've become leveraged and you're washed out and you're compromised. And yeah, yeah, there's a form of you that shows up. But the meat of you, man, has been given to everything else so that it's a husk. It's a, a shape that's there. But the inside of you is cold and it's quiet and, and it, it's not on fire. And you can't lose that. It's not an age thing. It's not a preference thing. It's not a background thing. It's a Jesus thing. you got to stay in a place where your first love burns inside of you. And no one can make you do it. I can't light your fire. I can't be there every day to... <laughs> it just came to me. I got, believe it or not, man, I have enough trouble going in my own life every day. There are enough things that come to, to constantly pull on that and to constantly take it. When Jesus is teaching on the seed that's scattered, one of the things he throws out to believer is that the cares of this world and the, the riches of life and the things that get in the way come in and choke. That's, listen, when that, that first love begins to fade in your life, you're being choked. Hear me. You're being choked, man. It's being choked out of you to where, yes, you still walk. And what fools us, it anesthetizes our conscience. We're still showing up and we're, we're going through the motions. But you know when you've lost your first love. For those of you who are married, you know when you lose your first love. You may not divorce. Hello. But you know. And you know, for those who know, you know what it's like when you get it back too. And you can get it back. Because by the way, you don't have to find somebody else. You don't need a new savior. You can get it back. So where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Not where your treasure is, where your heart is, man. So it's your heart, your heart, your heart. Your heart. Jesus, when he's talking, where your treasure is, you'll find your heart. Where your heart is, there you find your treasure. Your heart, your heart, your heart. It's always about the heart. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Never lose your first love. And if you have his remedy for losing your first love, he does not threaten. He doesn't scold. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't act, you know, all like, how could you do this? He says you need to repent. Look at how far you've fallen. And then he says this, go back and do the things you did at first. 
What did you used to do when it burned inside of you that you're not doing now? Did you worship? Did you read? Did you pray? Did you give? Did you go? Did it motivate you to be more than a person who just simply agrees when you hear preaching? Did it move you in your heart? By the way, Eric and Brooke Nicholson sit on this front pew right here. People from our church who are at Bethel School of Ministry right now because their hearts are so moved to do something in these days in ministry. They want to travel, sort of, uh, sort of like old-fashioned evangelists in a way, and, and preach the gospel in places. And I'm so proud of you guys, and I'm glad that you're home right now. And I want to admonish you for keeping your first love. If you have to move to keep your first love, move. Do whatever it takes to keep your first love your first love, man. Do this. He tells the churches, don't be afraid. Uh, if he has to encourage us not to be afraid, then there must be times of fear that are coming. Fear then, fear through the ages, and fear today. Uh, as we move through this book, I'm going to show you some things that are yet to come. Things that uh, <laughs> we just watched a Christmas carol. Sort of like the spirit of Christmas future. I'm going to show you the things that uh, are to be, that are not yet, but could be. Uh, that's not how this is. These are things that will be. And no politician, and no program, and no place is going to stop Jesus from being Jesus. So when he says, do not fear, don't be afraid, it's literal. Take courage. Strengthen yourself. Wouldn't it be just like the church that in dark days our light shines the brightest? Wouldn't it be just like the church when the world loses its way that the church can say, follow me, I know the way? Yeah. Yeah. Yes or no? Yeah. So wouldn't it be just like the church that in times of crisis, instead of fearing like everybody, oh my God, what's happening? That we go, I know my God and I know what's happening. Fear not. Now here's the sin. He warns them against tolerating sexual sin. You know, that would seem like something of 2019 or 2020. But he warns them of sexual sin. In fact, um, two of the churches, he warns about the tolerating the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Tolerating the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And one of the churches... Um, this is interesting. This is the church in Ephesus. Um, he says this, you hate the teaching or the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Who is this Nicholas? Who is this person? What is he teaching? And why does he warn these churches to stay away from it? So here was the teaching. Uh, and tell me this doesn't sound 2019, not 8067. So there was a teaching that went around that we have grace. And because we have grace then it doesn't matter how we live our lives because God's grace covers everything. So they began to allow sexual sin to come in. What was sexual sin? Take courage, preacher. <laughs> sexual sin was sex outside of marriage. Sexual sin was living together. I'll take a drink of water and let you digest that for a second. 
Every time I say that, I run the risk that people in my church who have become a part of the greater culture will say, we don't have to listen to that. And then the Bible warns in 2 Timothy that people will no longer put up with sound doctrine, but will go place that will tickle their ears. You will not say of me, you told us what we wanted to hear. If I stand alone, then I have to be willing to do that. I'm not a man of God if I don't do that. That's what sexual sin is. Sex is a gift from God. It's, it's a, a product, not of the enemy, not of the flesh, not of the lower nature. It's designed a gift, a beautiful thing that God's given in its place. Uh, it, it, it opens us up to each other. It unites us together to become one. And when it becomes something that is expressed only in animalistic, uh, I can't help myself, I'm like an elk, you know, we just, uh, I'm in the rut, leave me alone, Uh, I'll get this together later on. (laughs) So the teaching of the Nicolaitans was that we have grace and God's grace has saved us and his grace covers us. Here was the actual teaching that because we're sinners in our lower nature, we're going to continue sinning. So rather than wasting your time trying to mess with those things, just live under God's grace and whatever you do, you do. And in fact, it got so bad that the Nicolaitans, the teaching that they had was that they were using temple prostitutes, bringing it into God's church. And the pastors were telling the people that it was okay to sleep with these prostitutes. So they'd preach Jesus on one hand and then have an orgy at the end of it after. Oh, and we go, how can someone do... It sounds more 2019, not AD 67, doesn't it? So what, what is that? Dude, sin is not some 2019 issue or AD 67. Adam and Eve, all the way back to then. I'm sort of being very, very wide and broad, and the message is not about sexual sin today, um, but I'm just hitting on what, what he's saying to them. Here's the things to encourage. Do this. Here's the sin. You've got to get rid of this. Uh, here's the thing to do. Remain loyal. If he has to encourage them to remain loyal, then what they've had going on is disloyalty. Disloyalty to what? Well, I mean, first to God, obviously. The Nicolaitans, um, who was this person and this teaching? If you go all the way back to the book of Acts, when the apostles got so busy with the administering of, um, so they they had Greek converts, they had Jewish converts, they had widows from both of those things that were Christ followers, and those widows have needs, and the disciples, you remember the church in the beginning, people were selling stuff and giving it, and they were holding it in common, and then giving it to people as they have need. You remember that right there? And what they had is that the need became so great that the disciples were spending all of their time divvying up money and food to widows and to people who needed it. And so the disciples just said one day, hey, judge for yourself. Is it our job to do this right here or is our job to be studying the scriptures so that we're teaching you about the way that we should be going? So we have decided to find men who are full of the Holy Spirit. It's a key word. 
men who are full of the Holy Spirit to be deacons in the church who will administer these things, take care of the widows and take care of people. So these are men who were full of the Holy Spirit. One of them was this Nicholas who later on gets into this deceptive teaching, but because he had this this, uh, reputation and this position early on in the church, can you see what they're dealing with later on over here? It can happen to us if we're not careful. Jesus warns against deception. Here's what he's saying, man. Be loyal. Remain loyal. How do you know you're being loyal? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, The Bible says that in in the last days and in the end times, people will run looking for new doctrines. That's why Jesus has to be our doctrine. He has to be our doctrine. Here's the sin. You tolerate a spirit of Jezebel. You tolerate a spirit of Jezebel. Um, So so listen to this real quickly. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with the scripture, have a little more experience with it. Um, I have heard people misquote and misappropriate the scripture over and over and over again. They say that that Jezebel was the one that was married to Ahab, and it's a spirit that 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 witch woman operated in that's now operating in the church. How many of you have ever heard some teaching of that form right there? Let me just see real quickly. Okay. Seven of us. Awesome. Okay. So I won't have to undo damage uh, from a lot of you. So it's actually, if you study this out, here's what the belief is that one of the pastor's wife was named Jezebel. So how do we know that this is not referring to the Jezebel then? It's referring to a Jezebel uh, now. Okay, that's, that's interesting uh, enough. Let me, let me read this to you. Um, I've got to find it. Sorry about that. Uh, this is the church at Thyatira. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So that's not what the other Jezebel did. This is a Jezebel who's doing it right now. Who's this Jezebel? They think she was a pastor's wife who had authority in the church and she was misleading people. Can I just give props to the first lady of Jubilee? She loves Jesus, man. And she's not up teaching anything that she shouldn't be teaching. And she's certainly not misleading anyone in sexual immorality. Thank God for good pastor's wives. Continue in improvement. He actually says that. Get better. Keep working on things. Improve. Always improve. Don't just get uh, the status quo. Don't just be okay with doing good in the past. Improve. Move on towards the mark uh, for the high call that's in Christ Jesus. Here's the sin. You look alive, but you're dead. You look alive, but you're dead. Now, this one is one of the ones that comes with a warning. Repent. If you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. I'm going to remove your authority. I'm going to remove you from your place. What does that mean? What do you think it means? To look alive but be dead. To go through the motions. To say the right things. Jesus said it this way. 
These people's lips are close to me, but their hearts are far from me. So now I know he's not talking about Lone Tree. Probably Dan DeMay's church. (laughs) That's terrible, isn't it? (laughs) Love you, Dan. (laughs) They had an awesome Christmas. I need to catch you up. I'm going to have him preach. Um, We don't have the date yet, but I invited him uh, over the holidays. And I'm going to, we'll sit down the next couple weeks and figure out our schedule of who's teaching uh, this first quarter. And um, so two things with that. I've been gone a lot, and I know it, and I'll be in the pulpit more um, this coming year, I promise. And um, thank you, one person. Thank you. Oh, and it's my wife. Hi, sweetheart. Welcome. Welcome. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Susie, that is, thank you for doing that for me. Um, You have my blessing and favor, and nobody else does. Um, But I asked Dan if he would be willing to come back and just uh, teach, and he goes, man, I'm really nervous to do that. And I said, trust me, people love you, and it would be an honor to have you come back. So uh, I'll have him come back. But that's, that's what he says. It's a sin to look alive and be dead. You know, the problem with looking alive and being dead is that no one can tell, can they? You know, I, I've said this recently a couple of different times. I don't know why. Maybe it was setting up this series. But it's impossible to stand up here and look out and figure that out. Because that's the point. It, 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 it fools people. It's a deceptive thing. People are smiling. People are breathing. People are in motion. But inside, they've died. How do you know? I don't. You do. This is for you to judge. This is not the preacher is pointing you out and saying to you and you, and I'm talking to you, you tell me what's going on inside of you today. Are you breathing? Are you alive? Are you hot? If you're not, God's not angry with you. He's not mad at you. He's not indifferent to you. God is pleading with you to repent. Repent. The cure for it all is to repent. How do you make yourself repent? You can't. But you can say to God, change my heart. I'm dead. I'm cold. The reason I began with that that conscience issue, when I talk about these things, if you can push it down, if what I'm saying hits you between the eyes, but you can push it down, that's what I'm talking about. You're going, to, you're going to make your conscience. You're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're going to teach him that what he says to you, you're not listening to anyway, so his voice will grow quieter and quieter in your life, and you will go your own way, and it is dangerous. Because yeah. you will look alive, but you will be dead. Do you hear me? Here's the fifth one to do. Obey my command. These are not suggestions. These are not things that as I say them right now, they're to sound good and you're to say amen, but then to go out and be unmoved by them. Those we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our our testimony, what we did in our life, how we operated, what went on. 
what God was doing, how he was the Lord of our lives. We overcome the enemy. We overcome the world. We end up standing in that place by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. What we do matters. It was Jesus' job to get you in heaven, but that reality changes everything. We're not okay to just be like, oh, that's great, Jesus, I love you. If this is real, then this has to change. If you're saved, it changes everything, man. It changes your heart. James says, you talk about your faith. When I talk about mine, I'll show you my works. Real faith produces real works. Real faith is not just this sloppy, agape grace. Hey, Jesus did it all, and I'll just do what I want to do. Dude, you'll be a person whose lampstand gets removed. The call will come out, and you won't hear it. It'll be Matthew 25, where half of the virgins are asleep and don't get into the marriage supper of the Lamb because they were unprepared. But they were virgins. For those who have ears to hear, the sin, you are lukewarm. You're not hot, you're not cold, you've become lukewarm, and therefore I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He says that. Can you imagine writing that letter? But Jesus loves us. Jealously, passionately, fervently, with everything inside of him. And therefore that love demands that you love that way. It would be absolutely foolish to marry a woman who is passionate for you and you are cold-hearted to her. Your marriage is going to go where? It would be foolish to marry a man who is passionate for you and you have no feeling for him. And we think of the way we respond to Jesus in that type of marriage. He is so passionate for you, he laid down his life and we can be ambivalent towards him. Where is it going? That's going to work. Hello. I don't have to listen to you. Who do you think you are? <laughs> your pastor? The one who's given charge of your soul? The one who'll answer to God for whether or not I told you the truth and then loves you to try to get you there? It's not a scolding. Do you take what I say as a scold right now? Not a scold. It's pure love, man, that says it. You can't be lukewarm. Now, this is really important because this part of Revelation, listen to what I'm about to say. The judgment of God has not started yet. This is not judgment. This is mercy. It is mercy that says you can't be lukewarm. It is mercy that says you've lost your first love. It is mercy that says, hey, listen, stop this. That's mercy. That's not judgment. Judgment's coming down the road here. So before we get to judgment, listen to me, man. Repent right now. That's love. The other night, one of my grandchildren, we went to my mom's house for Christmas. Milo, little Milo. Kate and Jay, Daniel talked about this. Kate and Jay had gone out, and Daniel was helping them load presents. And, uh, you know, man, you know what this is like. You got little kids running around. You got a handful of presents. You're trying to load presents. And kids, kids don't stand there like, tell me when I can move. <laughs> kids are... And he runs out in the road and the car's just barreling down the road. 
And Daniel sees him and drops all the presents and runs and grabs him and turns his back to take to take the hit. And somehow the car misses him. Misses him. Misses them both. Everybody's screaming. Screaming. And the person in the car slows down and looks and then takes off. That's the world we live in today. That's not shocking. Ask Daniel to tell you the story. He goes, I don't know what happened. So I grabbed him and I just turned around waiting for it to hit me. And it missed me. And I don't know what happened. I know what happened. And our God is alive in our lives today. It doesn't preclude us from damage and from death and from horrible things that can happen, but it also does mean that the miraculous is available in our lives. My son is just weeping. My daughter is weeping. Milo doesn't know any different. I tell the story and I'm just like, my heart is like beating right now. My stomach hurts. Because I know what could have been. What a different Christmas it could have been. This is the idea of what will it take for you to wake up and realize how close that thing is to hitting you? What will it take? For some of us, we have to be hit. But God, the fallout from being hit. Can I tell you a much easier way? Do something about it right now before you get hit. Now, there are those who will argue with me and say, man, that's not how, it's not the God I know. Which God do you know? The best definition of repentance I've ever read in the Bible is Revelations 2, 5. Which, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one writing the letters. Look how far you have fallen... Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place amongst the churches. Uh, The reason I think it's a great definition of repentance, you've probably heard repentance described, uh, it means to turn around. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. You're going this direction. Here's what I want you to do. Look how far you've come. You used to be over there. Here's where you measure it. Stop right now and measure your life. Look at where you are. If you're going the right direction, go faster. Improve it. Hold on. Do it. But if you're going the wrong direction, measure how far you have fallen. And then you need to go back to where you were. Do the things you used to do. Get back there. I'm warning you before it hits you. That's mercy that's talking right there. That's the love that is talking right there. It's God's heart that is crying out for us right there. What's he saying? Stop it! Wake up! Measure! That's not how I was in my Methodist church. You ain't in your Methodist church. You're here right now. Thank God. 
You're breathing and alive. Yes! While it is still called today, we've got time to do something about it. While it's still called today. What does it do in your heart when you hear this? Do I make you mad? Good! You're alive. Do I make you wish you were on fire? Good! You're alive. Does it make you ask if something's missing? Good, it's working. Does it let you go, John, I'm with you, man. Good. Come on. Do you feel nothing at all? Danger. Danger, Will Robinson. If you don't know, you don't know. Danger. You're alive on the outside, but you're dying on the inside. You're cold. And I'd rather that you were hot or cold. Don't be this version of lukewarm that doesn't feel. Can't be pushed. Can't be provoked. Can't be encouraged. Can't be strengthened. Can't be warned. Can't be pulled can't be rebuked. Do you know that part of my job as a pastor, read the gospel of Timothy, correct, rebuke, and admonish with all authority. Preach the word. Execute your duties as a pastor. Tell the truth. Do it with love and respect. Smile as you hit them. That part's not in the Bible. <laughs> what does it do to you? Because there's our get off right there. I can't do, I, I don't know. I, there's nothing more, I, I can't, I don't know. So, I mean, the funny thing is, you can't, you can't tell from the outside because you can look alive and be dead. That means you could probably look dead and be alive. Do you agree? I, I, God's not into a form. Thank God. But he is into the heart. And it's not okay for you to say, I'm just not built like you. Neither was I. This isn't the best version of me. This is me filled with the Holy Spirit. The best version of John is a very shy (laughs) wallflower of a person who will let the world go by Do you hear what I'm saying? This isn't me either. It's the mercy of God speaking through me right now. The heart of God calling out to you. Bob, Dan, Bree. It's calling. It's calling. What will you do with that call? Jesus, love you, bless you, thank you, praise you, honor you. Be the head of our church, the Lord of our lives, the all in all, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You're all in all. Fathers, we take communion right now. God, we prepare our hearts to receive what you want to do. 
Father, don't let us ever take this again simply going through the motions. As we take into ourselves Jesus again, set our hearts on fire. Move us from being lukewarm and don't let us become cold. Let it be said of us that group is hot. Let it be said of us Jesus is in their midst. Let it be said of us their portion fell in good places because they received God. God, thank you for hearing our prayers right now. Be merciful to us. What you speak to us to do, we'll do. What you tell us to stop, we'll stop. What you want to strengthen, God, do it. Do it. Can this be your prayer? God, I don't know what to do, but I'm not okay not being okay. God, help me. Be merciful to me. Help me, God. Oh, God, help me. God, wake me up. Oh, God, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't let me go my own way, God. Don't let me go my own way. Don't let me convince myself that I'm okay going my own way. Don't let my conscience become quiet. Don't let me learn how to live my life pushing all of those things down. God, make me sensitive again. And by making me sensitive, I realize I'll be uncomfortable because if I go places I'm not supposed to go and do what I'm not supposed to do, you're going to say, stop. God, it's okay to talk to me again. God, just don't leave me to my own devices. God, thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. 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 Pastor Terry.